grief. What do you think grief means? Sadness. 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 Anybody else? A loss. Webster says that loss is to not obtain something, to go after something, to obtain and to lose it. In other words, to lose, to not win it, to not have it in your life anymore, to no longer own it. Um, grief is sorrow, but it is the emotion tied to, to the absence of something that was of importance to you. Grief is always an emotion. Loss is not an emotion. Look, grief is the emotion tied to the loss. Loss happens in, in, in four different areas of our lives. In every area of our lives, spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. You can lose in all four areas. And I want you to think tonight, it's, it's easy for us to identify loss in someone else's life. But tonight, I want you to think of one, it just pick one, emotional, spiritual, financial, I don't care which one. Um, but I did this exercise myself and I thought of everything that I had lost in one area of my life. And I am mentally... If you've got a pencil and a paper, you can write it down or you can mentally keep it. But I literally thought of that because I the, the book says, if we look at the first page, it says, <clears throat> let me get back to the right chapter. Limits are behind all laws. We cannot do or be anything we want. God has placed enormous limits around even the most gifted of us. Why? To keep us grounded, to keep us humble. In fact, the very meaning of the word humility has its root in the Latin word humus, meaning of the earth. Our culture routinely interprets losses as alien invasions that interrupt our normal lives. But when we think about it, it is loss is normal. Think about I, that's that is one. Think about your area. Choose one area and just mentally focus on just that in that one area where you've lost a job. It wasn't your fault. You were laid off. The company closed off. Close up. Nothing you did could have, could have prevented that. The death of a loved one. Nothing you did could have been. So, but there's a limit on what you can do. And so if we as humans do not like the fact to be told that we can't do something. We've been told we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Therefore, we should be able to control everything that comes in our lives. And we live our lives like that until something happens. 
until you go to work and they call you in the office and they sit you down across from that desk and they say, you know, I don't know how to tell you this. I've thought about it over and over again. I've tried to figure it out, but there's no way around this. We're gonna have to let you go. The company's moving on and you just don't fit into the next plan. I've been told that three different times. Three different times I've been told that. My, my last three jobs, well, not my last one, but in my, in my field, in the engineering, they told me that. After 9-11, we just, we just don't have the work for you. Not that I did, I didn't bring on 9-11. I didn't bring it on, I didn't cause it, but we were in airport engineers and all the, <laughs> nobody, <laughs> airports was like, hey, everything's on hold. Forensics on hold, transportation on hold. So they didn't need the engineers, so they, hey, and here I was the office manager and you had to make a choice. There was one person underneath me, one person older that was uh, in, in years of service. One person had less years of service, the other one had more years of service. But in the re reality, my job was the one that was the balancing act between the two. And I was the one that handled all of the engineers. And if the engineers didn't have a work, they didn't need that person. Eight years later, different job, the same thing. Or you go to, uh, go to the doctor, your health. You did everything you were supposed to do. You've eaten, drank, <laughs> eaten what you're supposed to eat. You don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't get high, you don't do all those things. You did what you were supposed to do. And you go in there and they tell you, oh, your blood pressure's high. Or, oh, you've got cancer. Nothing you did brought that on. So now you have lost your good health. Children leave home. One of the biggest, it, it, one of the biggest loss for a parent is when they get, when you come to that point when you were empty nest. I remember the day that Ed and I walked in our house. It was a good day, but it was also, <laughs> we walked in the house and our last child had moved out of the house. The house was totally quiet. It was a good thing in the sense that he could do what he wanted to do. And I, I literally, and it was so quiet, I had no clue. Now I'm in this house with this man that I've been married to for 30 years, 30, yeah, 30 years there, 31 years. And I'm having to, you know, you're having to, you, there's no children between the two of them. So now you've got to deal with him and he got to deal with you. You've lost the barrier between you two. So now you're having to figure out how to get along with one another. That's a, that was a big one. <laughs> a, a lot of couples go through that. A lot of couples go through that. You laugh about it later, but you, and you get, if you get through it, you do. But the, I know some couples that didn't survive it. You come home from work, you leave for work in a house full of furniture. You come back home and the house is empty. And there's a note on the kitchen table. Sorry, this marriage is over. Nothing you did brought that about. Loss happens. Now the thing of it is how do we handle it as Christians? One, we gotta accept the fact that it's gonna happen. Now that it's happened, what's the next thing? What do we do? 
Let's look at the, uh, I think I just went through the story of us all. I'm not, I'm not gonna touch that we lost, we lose our youth for this because we don't lose our youth. <laughs> we are totally different generation. <laughs> We, it says here, look at the, well, my book's the top of page 137. It says, we lose our illusions about this. Well, I'm going to start at the bottom. <clears throat> Finally, we lose our wrong ideas of God and the church. This is a big one. Because when I said we lose in four areas that I use spirituality, I saw looks like, huh? But look, finally, we lose our wrong ideas of God and the church. Thank God. What makes this so difficult is how much we invested of our lives into a certain way of following Jesus, into, a certain, into certain applications of biblical truths, only to realize much of it was foolishness or perhaps even wrong. We feel betrayed by church tradition, a leader, or even God himself. We realize God truly is much larger and more incomprehensible than we thought. We lose our illusions about this new family that we have joined. Comments on that statement. Now y'all ain't gonna leave me out here by myself. <laughs> Because I start calling people, I'm real good about doing that. I get in teacher mode right now. <laughs> right now I'm in facilitator mode, but if I go in teacher mode, I'm gonna start pointing out. <laughs> in, yeah, I chapter seven show chapter five. And my book, it's, do you have a title that says a story of us all? So it's on page 119 in your book. Thank you. And it should be one, two, three, four, five, six, about the seventh paragraph there. Am I right, Jeff? You're going to start, what you read, start on page one. Okay. 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 So what are any comments? What do you think? Have you experienced it? Like the author, I think that it's good sometimes that we lose the meaning that we have of church people being perfect. Because mm -hmm. as long as you're a human being, you're not perfect. Um, we just have a perfect father that we can look to and ask for forgiveness of our sins. But there's no perfect person. And sometimes, unfortunately, you know, if we place all our hopes and dreams and everything in a person, and if they disappoint us or they fall or they don't do what we feel like they should have done as a Christian, then some for some it can just set their world at you know they're at a loss. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I had all of this you know high esteem. It's not that you don't esteem the men and women of God highly, but you don't put them in a place where God should be. One of the first things that I learned uh, when I first got saved, uh, I was, I had a female bishop and uh, Bishop Nesbitt just, she, I was, I was, I was just, I was in awe of her. And I was sitting in church one night and the Lord gave me a picture. Bishop never said, I'm human just like you are. She said, I hurt like you hurt. I feel bad like you, she said, I even fall. And I couldn't accept that at first. And I kept looking at her and I was like, oh. And the Lord gave me an image of her. And in the image, she had clay, in, in the uh, vision, 
And then, because what I saw was this woman of God who, uh, who literally, I mean, if you was in your house doing something wrong and have, have experienced it, well, or you over there fussing or not doing what you're supposed to, you get your phone ring and it turned on the other side saying, okay, what you doing? I see you in prayer. I saw you. I hear you. And I, you know, she sent people by my house because Sister Vanessa wasn't always so calm natured. <laughs> she really wasn't. And bless my poor husband's heart, he had to deal with it. Because I was unhappy. And when I'm un when a person's unhappy, they react in ways they shouldn't. And uh, Bishop sent the saints over to the house. She said, go over there and check on Sister Gilchrist. And they showed up at my house. I said, what you doing in there? And Lord knows I had been, I had set off World War III in my house because he didn't do something that I wanted. And they came in and they prayed for me. But so when she, for me, she was just, couldn't do anything wrong. But the Lord gave me a vision of her and she had clay feet. And she, the thing was, he was telling me was never forget that a, that a person has clay feet not realizing that years later, as I went down, that I was gonna to have to deal with pastors in, in the capacity that I had to and see them in their, in their, in their humanness. I've seen them in their humanness. I've sitting around the table with them and you know, because of who my husband was as associate pastor, the, in the circle that we went, husband and wives traveled together. The husbands didn't go and the wives stayed, you know, we, we did ministry together. And so when we sat down, we sat down as couples, husbands and wives, and as, a, as him being the associate pastor, I was there. So I got to hear and got to see. And if I hadn't have been told, I got to hear them, their heart, but I got to hear their flaws too. And if I hadn't, God hadn't given me that, like what you said, I could have long since, Actually, because I would have thought nobody would say, I really would. But they're human. And the same way God's grace is moving in my life and changing me daily, so it was in their lives, He's changing them daily. And I think that, I, I think, I'm, I agree with you, Pat, that is a big one to lose. That's a loss we need to celebrate. The illusion that someone is perfect. And a lot of people to be human. I, I think that is that that is the that that is a big one. And allowing humans, allowing us in the body of Christ to be human. Yes, ma'am. The church that I grew up in, I had a specific idea of how church was supposed to be supposed to run, and it took a long time to get. Yeah. Different, different denominations and different churches. And that was shocking uh, to me. Mm. I thought the only church was the church that I grew up in following was the real church. So it was like it took, it took years of you know denominations and churches and beliefs and I mean the whole the, the whole work. So when when I think people see the word church, you have to build in your mind what the church should be like. Um, just piggybacking on what was said everyone that's saying about losing our wrong idea of God in church. We have to worship God the spirit of truth, but truth is relative. Mm. And so to lose our truth of how we worship God and who God is, it has to be. Mm. You know, that's my truth. Mm -hmm. It's like the sister said here, that was her truth, how she grew up. Mm -hmm. What she believed in God, how to worship. Uh, and to turn your back on your truth, as to, especially if your truth, how you worship God, is what you think God is, is it has to be back on For sure. Sister, I like that. That's a good idea. I mean, a good comment. Felicia said, it helps us to erase this fairy tale nature of people and the church. I, <clears throat> and that may be the reason why some there are people that are 
if you, your, what is it? My opinion becomes my reality. My opinion becomes my reality. Whether it's right or wrong, it's, it's, it's who I am. It's, 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 my, it's my world. And to invade that world with something else um, forces me to make a decision whether to stay where I am or move or to accept and to piggyback an awful well. Shears is saying, if it's your truth, mm-hmm. just because it's your truth and you have to change it does not mean that your truth was wrong. And that, that, that and so that's what we, the, we're looking at stuff as black and white. It's either this or that. But just because something is different does not mean that it's yours is wrong. It's just different. And if we can see it that way, then loss wouldn't be so hard for us. Loss is a failure to gain or win, obtain, or to even utilize something. To even utilize the knowledge that you have. So if you if 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 somebody if the truth that has been presented to you offers you a new way of looking at things and offers you a better life and you refuse to do it, you refuse to accept it, then you lose out on the benefits of that truth. And that's a big one. What do you think? Y'all was so quiet. Let me go ahead. Um, I keep thinking about in the last couple of months. You know, God is obviously multi-passionate. Just because there's so many nationalities in this world we create and cultures and backgrounds and styles and textures and sizes and shapes and everything that even our truth, you know, um, we do a disservice to one another, uh, to the whole world. By not embracing some of it. Because um, even it's quite obvious, even in some of the bad things that we've gone through or people have gone through, um, misfortune, <clears throat> crazy things that God even turned those things around. You know, a lot of ministries, a lot of services, uh, particularly, have come from people that went through certain pain, you know, um, whether it's helping the homeless or, or, you know, whatever. And you said something not too long ago, I guess in the beginning of the class about, you know, loss and things like that, being, knocking, our, knocking us off of our control, you know, we we feel out of control, such an alien, such a foreign thing, like it's not supposed to be this way. You know, I'm not supposed to lose this job. Or I worked so hard on this project or on my marriage or or my identity, whatever it is, you know. Um, You know, human beings, we have a hard time being told no. From whomever or whatever, we don't. We just don't like it. Our toddlers, you know, Lynette, you remember when your twins, as they were growing up, they just didn't like nothing. <laughs> you know, they didn't like to be kids. Don't like to be told nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, I just I don't know. It's 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 
it's this is it's a huge conversation to grasp. You know, says change is pain, and some would rather not experience the pain to have a more excellent way. Grief and loss go hand in hand. That there is, you can't you can't have loss without having grief. Grief is the, to feel or show a deep sorrow. When you're separated from something, it's something that's a part of you. You're gonna feel the pain of losing it, even if it's a good thing that you've lost it. It's still something has left. Something that's no longer a part of you. Something that uh, it, it's, it's annoyance because now that it's gone, now you got to figure out, all right, what's the next thing? So grief, is, another word for grief is trouble, <laughs> believe it or not. And then that one threw me when I looked that up. Why is, why is grief trouble? Think about your job and why they call it you file a grievance. You're filing a grievance because of trouble. Mm -hmm. Whether it's trouble of discrimination or trouble wrongfully acute, you know, wrongful, whatever, just wrong. Which is that? It's an annoyance. And so it's a part of our everyday life. And it's something that we can't avoid. Now, how we deal with it is different. How we deal with it is, is it's different as we as there is different people in this room. It's based on how you deal with grief and how you deal with loss. It's based on your background. We as African-Americans deal with things one way, but even within our African-American culture, based on our families and, you know, whether you, <laughs> some of us, you know, just depends on whether we had some people, uh, most times people that, there are some families that we don't, what goes on in this house, stay in this house. Once we walk out of this house, straight face, we are fine. We are fine. I'm, how are you doing? I'm okay. No, you're not. Your house, to, uh, come on. In, 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 in Kentucky, let's think about it. What just happened? Your house just blew off its foundation. But you're gonna stay here and tell me you're okay. Your marriage just fell apart. Your child just passed. You just lost your job, but I'm okay. And the, as Christians, we're more likely to do that than uh, we are in any other thing because we are told that we're, for some reason, I don't think we were told, we've got this mindset that we're not supposed to be, we're only supposed to be okay. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God's gonna take care of this. Therefore, I'm okay. It is okay not to be okay. I'm gonna say that it is okay not to be okay. I give you permission not to be okay. Anybody saying this? And Sister Gilchrist gave me permission. I don't have to be okay. Because once you admit that you're not okay, then you can deal with the problem. You can deal with it. I I had to say to 
Just and unjust. says, I, I like this, I underline this on purpose. It says, sadly, the result of denying and minimizing, and it's talking about us as Christians, and minimizing our wounds over many years is that we become less and less human, empty Christian shells with painted smiley faces. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> with painted smiley faces. Everybody has on them. That that their Sunday morning smile, but we but we don't know what's going on on the inside. And the whole part, the one of the things about this book is that we become whole in every area of our life. There's a word that we used a lot in the ministry that I came out of. Scartos. Scartos means darkness. It means hidden agendas or our to be hidden. And one of the things that we talked about a lot in our ministry, because the ministry was called Ministry Reconciliation, and you cannot be reconciled or become, uh, come in harmony with somebody if you're not real with yourself and real with them, was that we tended to, we tend to hide our feelings and our emotions. Excuse me. We tend to hide our feelings and our emotions from everybody, even ourselves. What do you think about that? <coughs> Go ahead, dear. Well, um, when my mother had to go find a living and do something for the living, but they'll come up here crying and constantly thinking of her and sadness. I have another relative who's been grieving over 10 years over her mother. Um, to the point every time you see her, you know, whenever you see her, the grief is there. It's been like 10 years that she lost Facebook. Happy birthday and happy mom. You know, the picture is everywhere. And I've been trying to uh, share with her instead of living. We have people right next to living, and we get they have a great But sometimes the whole focus is on, on the person that died. Did you read uh, the, the, uh, the paragraph on Queen Victoria? Mm -hmm. <laughs> on page 121 in your book. 
She lost her husband and she spent the rest of her life in deep grief. Her whole life. I call it being chained to the grave. <laughs> as a widow, as a widow, one of the things that I discovered in the sense, thank you, I just got a minute. Thank you. Thanks. One of the uh, one of the decisions I had to make, thank you so much, was that I could even circle this grave, this thing of being in this valley of death where my husband had passed. And then a year later, my grandson, so I had two back to back. And I could stay right there. I, and I literally, you know, or I could move away. A part of me wanted to move, another part wanted to stay. The reason why I wanted to stay was because I felt like I was doing him a disservice to move on. I felt like if I moved on, I would forget Eddie. And if I forgot Eddie, everybody else would. Same thing with my grandson, Zaire. I felt like if I did, if I, if I moved on with my life, that it was as if their lives did not matter. And that, that as long as I stayed there, I was keeping them alive or keeping them, keeping them for. So. I'm gonna get all of this at the rate I'm going. The, um, and I, I, I got to a point, you got to realize when, you, when I became a widow, and you don't have to realize, but I'm going to tell you this. When I became a widow, I lost, I didn't just lose my husband. I lost my identity. I lost my job. Three, 30 days, I buried my husband on the 11th, on the 15th of March. I had already been told that as of the 31st of March, I would be without a job. I was being laid off. And I was told that while he was in the hospital dying. Then the church that we were in, um, the year before, just before we did, before they decided it got, we went through a church split. You're talking about a church that we had been in for 20 some years. We have been co-pastoring and work, working in that ministry, running up and down the highway, doing everything. And it, we had a major split for the second time. And when the split ended, there was only four of us left standing. The pastor and his wife, Eddie and I. And then he told us that we could leave the church. We could go find another church. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm here is because we were looking for another church and we just needed a resting place. And so we came to UCC at the time to rest. We came to UCC in October just to visit. We finally decided to join in January, the fourth Sunday in January. My husband went in the hospital the third, the 21st of February, which is the following the Monday, following the third Sunday, never came home. So now, I'm in a church where I know nobody. So all of my all, all of my friends are gone. My husband's gone. My job is everybody that I, my job is getting ready to go. My girlfriend calls me and tells me, you know, now that you're now that you are single, you and I can no longer be friends. My husband had only been in the grave. I buried him on Tuesday. She told me this on Friday. I thought she was joking. She was dead serious. That because I am now single, and I am not told, I said, well, I'm not single. <laughs> I was in my mind, I wasn't single. But that's what she said. And when I talked to her mother, her mother said the same thing. Well, you know, technically you're single and as married women and single women don't hang together. So now I've lost a friend. And as I look around, my whole circle of friends were gone. So here I was in a church 
coming to church every Sunday, smiling and going on. But inside, I was dying. I was literally dying. My home, I had to give it up. I, my husband died on Thursday. My children was moving me on Saturday. He had already put it in place. I don't, mama can't handle that house. It was too much. Find her some place where she can stay by herself and she'd be okay. So him and my daughter had worked it out, my youngest daughter, and literally my son had packed up the house and Eddie died on Thursday. Saturday morning, there was a moving truck up at the back door, at the front door. And they were moving before I could even get it so you don't, you don't know the type of loss that you can face. You go this, when I say that I could have literally stayed at that grave, I could have lived with Queen. I could have, because everything that I knew was gone. I was no longer his wife. I was no longer, um, I was no longer a, a minister in the, at the church, because that wasn't in there. I was no longer the intercessor for that church. I was no longer the Sunday school teacher. All of that was gone. People lose stuff all the time and you got to come to a conclusion that if mine's cover all four areas of my life, it covered spiritually, emotionally, financially, half my income was gone. Really more than that because I was losing a job. So my income was gone. Widows all the time become poor people because we lose out. We lose our monies. We lose half our incomes. We as women lose, we, uh, the reason why there's so many bitter women in, that uh, seem to be bitter, it's not that they're bitter. It's just that they don't know how to get beyond the grave. They don't know how to live other than as a wife. So now you're telling me I have to live single after 30 and 40 and 50 some years. For me, it was 31 years, 11 months and 10 days. For Mother Noise, it was 50 years. And we're having to learn how to live a single life. <laughs> so yeah, that whole lifestyle, we grieve it. It's gone. What we do with that grief is differently. And how we grieve it is differently. Some women get involved with uh, men quickly, sir. Some men get married quickly, sir. Same thing with people who divorce. They go out and get in a relationship so quick. It's, it's another way of handling the grief or not handling the grief. The trick to it is, what I've learned is go through it. As he said in here, in this book, how this guy just faced it head on. Literally, I had to come to that point where I literally had to face it head on. That meant I had to stop going to that graveyard every single Saturday morning. I had a Saturday morning date. I would come to prayer from eight to nine. And by 9.05, I was sitting over there. Uh, not, you know, 9.05 was over there at Gethsemane Cemetery. Sitting at my husband's grave. And there's this little white gentleman over at his wife's grave. We met every Saturday, every Saturday morning. We met there. I had to stop that. And once I stopped that, and I had to be okay with not, not going there. You got to be okay with, you know, with whatever it is. I had, I had to come to the point where I told the Lord, and my son actually helped me with this. I told the Lord, I said, I will be okay as long as you don't leave, leave me. When I lost my house, after getting a place to stay, after moving, the, getting settled, and here I was fighting to try to keep this little, this little place where it was an apartment, trying to keep it. And I realized that, I just couldn't do it. Okay, Lord, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to trust you to take care of me. It's going to be okay. 
Was it embarrassing? Yes. I let the house department go. I let the car go. I sent it all back. Because financially, I could not afford it. That meant that was my credit going to hit it? Hey, the credit just had to take a hit. I want the first one. I had to come to that point. And you've got to come to that point and whatever you're going through in your life, it doesn't matter what people think, it's what God thinks. And God is not going to leave you in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your grief. He's not. I am living proof that God would not leave you that he will not forsake you, that he will not turn his back on you during your darkest moments, during the hardest things you can go through. God will stay with you. When everybody else walks out, he will still be there. He will. And I said that for years, like most of us. I know God isn't going to leave me. I know. But it was when time hit, I can say now I've lived it out. And if I, I'm going to get ready and close. And I'm going to read what Felicia's got here. But if, I, if anything else you don't get out of this here, I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what you're facing. I don't even know what you're going to face. But I'm going to tell you this. God would not leave you. You're going to be okay as long as he's there with you. If you, don't, if you have to let everything else go, let it go. But hold to God. Hold to your relationship with him like, it's, like your life depends on it. Because it does. And I can promise you, you're going to be okay. Maybe a little life may be a little different, but you're going to be okay. When my son told me, mom, dad was your husband, but God is your God, that, that thing hit. People will leave you. People will disappoint you. They don't mean to all the time. They just, it just does. They just do. That's human nature. But even when God disappoints us, he's still there to take care of us in the midst of it. And the disappointment is because we didn't know what he wanted. When because he, it wasn't him, that's us. If we'd asked him, he would have told you that wasn't for you. But you didn't ask him. God will be there for you. He will not leave you. Felicia said, and as a widow, many of your hopes and dreams are tied to your husband. It is extremely painful, and we have to trust God even more. We have to stop trying to make people understand what they are not in a position to understand. People are never going to understand your loss. Felicia and I are both widows. Both of us have gone through the death of a spouse. Both of us have buried it. Both of us, we are on this journey together at different places. And we are dealing with that journey differently. But we're walking the journey. And God is walking it with us. Wherever, whatever your journey is, God is walking it with you. You don't have to worry about the things that you cannot control. He's got it. Any comments? I also think that what you're saying is that we go through a lot. Um, a lot of times it's fear of what, what is it going to look like now? What is my life going to be like now? You know, I don't have this person or I don't have this thing in my life anymore. Um, and the fear a lot of times uh, you know, that book, the book talks about getting yourself busy and caught up in things, whether it's drugs, addiction, um, you get overworked for eighty hours a week to throw yourself in something and try to keep your mind off of guilt and reality of the loss. 
Um, for some people, that's how they deal with it. That's their way of, you know, I just, you know, I'm just gonna work all these hours because you don't want to face the loss. You just fear. Okay, when you think about, you know, grieving that loss, like, no, you know what? I'm just gonna go ahead and focus on this over here, and you're not really being in the reality of the whole loss and dealing with it, going through the grief process. That's a hard part, you know, when you tell people you got to go through it, you got to go through the loss, but if they don't know how, and if they never had to go through something like this, you know, how do they go through it and get through it? Um, you have your relationship with God, but how do they let go of that fear and trust God? And that's a daily walk every it's day. It's a moment by moment walk. That you got to walk it out, and some days you don't even see but you still got to trust and believe. And then I believe that it's important that you have that support because the enemy is always going to be talking to you in your mind, telling you this and that, and you, you can't do this, and you're not going to make it, you're going to lose your eyes, you're going to lose everything. But then it's good when you have that support too. And whether it's support with your friends and family or a support group that can help you through the grief process because. Everybody grieves differently, and when they go through the process, is different. It may take you two years, it may take you 10 years. Mm -hmm. Everybody's different, um, and we grieve differently. And when we can be real with ourselves and say, you know, I, I'm going through this process right now, it's not easy. Instead of, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, yeah, everything's fine. I've seen people have a nervous breakdown, lose their mind off the ground, and have like everything's good, it's going to be good. Because you want the appearance of everything being good when you know. You go home behind closed doors, you really like fall apart because you never open yourself to allow others that can help you yes. and allow God to help. No one has to because I, yes, as a Christian, I would say, you know, allow God to, you know, to heal that hurt, but how? The trick to it is have you ever, well, before I say that, have you ever seen someone that they're constantly snapping at people? Yep, yep. I call them like little dogs. Yep. Like a puppy, um, uh, you reach out to touch them, and they they bite your hand off. They're always angry. They, I mean, they could start an argument out of out of whether the sky's blue or not. And all you said was hello to them, and they just because they are hurting, and hurting people always hurt other people. They're like uh, like a rabbit dog or a hurt dog. That's been, uh, if you've ever had a puppy that's hurt, if you go to pet it, it would, especially if it's someone that it got hurt by a human, it won't allow you to pet it. It will bite its own master's hand. There are people in our lives that you, or you may come across that are like that. And it's because they have not dealt with the loss in their life. They're, they're in denial. They totally deny it. The, the, I can't, I can say this, each moment based on this book, each moment, it's a moment by moment thing. I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to face with it. And Pat is so right. You've got to have a support group. Do, do not, whether it's a loss of a relationship or the loss of a person, if it's a loss of finances, Go get counseling on how to handle your finances, how to come back from where you are. It's, there's not, we as black people refuse to go to counseling, but really we need to go. There's nothing wrong with it. And a lot of times we don't do it because we don't have the money to do it. Or we say we don't have the money. There's free counseling out there. Come on. I've got a daughter that deals with, the, I'm going through this with her. She needs counseling. She really do. She lost her dad and her son. And she just, she just, she's never dealt with it. She's never, ever dealt with it. And what, and how she's uh, coping with her coping mechanism is just, is, is totally wrong. Totally wrong. And it's going to take her down a path that she has no business going down. Except God intervene on her. She's already been had to go into the, uh, been locked up one time for uh, committing, wanting to commit suicide. All because she won't deal with the loss 
All that you make people make wrong decisions, put people in their lives. You're gonna have a breaking point. Counseling helps. You've got to have a support group. You got to have somebody. And you'll be surprised who your support group would be. It may only be one person. You may be supporting somebody now that's going through. Your smile, you're saying hi to somebody. You're giving somebody a hug. You taking the time to ask somebody, how are you doing today? Maybe all that person needs to get them from point A to point B or from point A to point A and a half. We are each our brother's keeper. In that sense, we're each our brother's or sister's support. Helping someone eat. I can't even think of the term they use, they said now, but that is so true. Yes, ma'am.
It goes back to we lose, we lose things emotionally. We suffer loss emotionally. We suffer loss spiritually. We suffer loss financially. We suffer loss physically. In all four of those areas, at any time, we can suffer loss. And grief and loss go hand in hand. You cannot lose something and not grieve. You just can't. And grief isn't a cycle that is an overnight thing. It does not just, you don't get the, you don't get to just say, I'm not gonna, all right, today I'm through grieving. I'm going on about my business. 
It doesn't work that way. It, it really doesn't. But it does, I can say, it does get better. It does get better. The pain, the, the pain of it, it I think the pain, we constantly remember the pain of it to remind us of what we've come through, one. And then help us to identify with another who's going through that. So we don't ever, too many people, too many people forget where they, come, where they came from and what God has done in their lives. Tonight, I pray that you will never, ever forget all that God has done in your life and all that he's doing and that you hold him like you've never held him before close to your heart. I pray that he would direct your path and direct your footsteps. I pray that any loss that you have faced, is facing or will face, that you would see his love and his compassion in the midst of it. I pray that his peace will always be your companion in the midst of everything. This is a journey and we win at the end. I pray that you never forget that, that you're not alone, <clears throat> that he is always there with you. His Holy Spirit is your comforter. Your Holy, his Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. He will give you insight. And he will lead you through this valley. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for your attendance. <laughs>